you have your Bibles this morning and you would find 2 Samuel chapter 2 with us this morning, I have some cards to read. I was gone a week and then I uh, just forgot last week and, uh, and so I want to read a couple of these uh, cards to you this morning. Uh, Robert and I would like to thank everyone at 10 Mile Church for the kind gift to remember Robert's dad by, as well as for the warm welcome we have received here. That is from Robert, Lita, Jessalyn, Jacob, and Addie Holloman. second card I have this morning was directed toward the Kids on Missions, but I think it is important for you to realize that whether you are old or young, you can love one another. The Kids on Missions, thank you so much for the cards and drawings you sent to me while I was in Nashville wearing my stem cell transplant. Thank you for your prayers. God is good and God is faithful. Took care of me every day. Your drawings and cards made my heart happy. Thank you very much. That's from Debbie Hampson. Third card this morning is Ten Mile Baptist Church. Thank you for the flowers that you sent to the family for mom. We appreciate all the church has done for our family. That is from the family of Pauline Kennedy. And so whether it is a loss of a loved one, whether it is making a new family feel welcome here, or whether it is uh, someone going through great difficulty, it matters how we treat one another. And so if you're taking notes today, and I hope that you will, the title of the sermon this morning is Decisions Matter. Uh, Have you ever... uh, known what you were supposed to do and did not do it. I think all of us have been there, whether at home or in church or uh, in our personal life. We knew that we were supposed to do something and we didn't do it. Most of us have looked back in our life and said something like this. I knew better. What was I thinking? Now, I didn't know that I would have a sermon illustration for this morning, but I do. Um, this morning I came to church with a tie on. And Lucas and I, when we get here in the mornings, we split up the tasks. So I said, Lucas, if you'll get the doors, I'll do the bathrooms this morning. And so I had not put my tie clip on yet. And so it was swaying all over the place. It was moving around because of the front porch of the temple and stuff. And, uh, and so there was something in the floor next to the toilet. And I thought, well, I need to pick this up, right? Knowing, always hold your tie when you bend over in the bathroom. And so, all of a sudden, as I bend over in the, the, the girls' bathroom in the uh, gym, I heard something that sounded like a splash of water. And I thought, hmm, that's funny. And got up and realized something. Either I just spilt water on myself or I've wet myself. And I looked down, and my tie had taken a swim in the toilet in the women's bathroom. So I had to take my tie off, and I carried it and washed my hands, by the way, thinking I knew better. Today I want to show you that decisions matter. Decisions matter for you as an individual. Decisions matter for your family. Decisions matter for this church. They can either bring great blessings to you or they can bring great heartache. And in the book of James, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you today to set up the context. And then I want us to really look in today about decisions and how we make them. 
In James, the fourth chapter, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, James 4, starting in verse 13, says these words, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, and don't miss this verse, to him to know who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So pray with me. Father, today I come thanking you for the privilege of being with your people today, worshiping you. Father, thank you for the time that we have had. And I pray, Lord, with the time that we have remaining, that you would speak, that you would convict, that you would save, that you would work. Lord, I ask that you'd forgive me of any sin in my heart, Lord, that would hinder what you are wanting to do in this place today. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so James tells us to live our life in a way that thinks that we're in charge, that we make the plans, that we control things, is sin. And the decisions we make should be, God, what do you want for me? God, open up opportunities for me. But it says, if it becomes about me and what I want and what I think and what's best for me, it is sin. And today I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Abner. If you remember last week, we saw that David had been anointed king over one of the twelve tribes. And you say, well, just one, why wouldn't the rest follow suit? Well, I want to tell you that it was because of a man named Abner. Abner was the first cousin of King Saul. They would have been close. He was so close to King Saul that he was the commander of the army. He was an important person in Israel. And Abner was in a unique position. Outside of the king, he was probably the most influential man in all of Israel. And you've probably met people like that in church. They're the mover and shaker at church. You probably meet people like that at work. They're the person who, for whatever reason, is a mover and a shaker. You probably even come into contact with people like that in all settings of life. They've been there a long time. They've got a lot of wealth. They've done something. They are a person that if you go against them, you won't get things done. And that was Abner. And Abner had a choice. Abner could have supported David, could have joined with David and brought the nation of Israel together. But Abner made a different choice. You say, well, Jake, maybe Abner didn't know any better. Well, I want to show you this morning that Abner had a unique relationship with Saul and David. In 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, after David had killed Goliath, in verse 55, it says these words, When Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. 
So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, don't miss this, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David is still carrying Goliath's head. And Abner comes and gets him and takes him to the king. You see, Abner would have known David from the moment that God began to use him in Saul's life. He would have known that he had been anointed. He would have known that he had been blessed. We would have known that he had found God's favor. He would have known and watched as David was loyal to Saul. He would have watched as Saul mistreated David. He would have had all the background information. He would have had all the ins and outs. He would have known all the good and the bad. He would have known the secret committee meetings. He would have known the backroom deals. He would have known who David was. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, if you remember, David had an opportunity to sneak into Saul's camp. And someone says, let's sneak in there and kill Saul. David says, no, we're going to sneak in there and we're going to take something. We're going to take his water jug and we're going to take his spear. And then after we leave, we'll tell him what has happened. And listen to how David describes Abner in 1 Samuel chapter 26, starting in verse 13. Now David went over to the other side after they've snuck in and took what they were taking and stood on top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Now Abner was sleeping instead of protecting the king. He was sleeping instead of doing what he was called to do. And this was Abner's response. Who are you calling out the king? So David said to Abner, don't miss this, how he describes Abner's influence. Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? He says, there's no one like you in Israel. You're so powerful and influential and a a warrior and, and and a man who makes things happen. But why then have you not guarded your Lord the King? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the King. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. You see, not only would Abner have saw David as a young man being used by God, he would have seen David's integrity to not kill Saul for his own benefit. He would have saw how David had served and honored him. Abner had the full picture. But Abner hadn't just seen David's life. He had even heard Saul talk about David's future. 1 Samuel 26 verse 21, this is Saul's words to David. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Abner heard Saul confess 
that he was wrong, that David was right, that this was all a mess and it wasn't David's fault. Abner had seen David's life. He had seen David's integrity. He had seen God's hand on David. And he had seen that David was innocent. But one more, because I want you to see the significance of this in 1 Samuel 26, verse 25. Saul predicts and prophesies about David's future. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall be do both great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Saul says, you are the one that's going to win this conflict. You are going to be the one that God raises up. Abner knew all of this. And so in chapter 1, when Saul and Jonathan die, Abner is the most influential and powerful man in Israel. You would think, well, he's going to come right alongside David and he's going to support David. He's going to be there for David. He's going to take this young king and help him in every way. That makes sense. Today I want to show you that decisions matter. Because Abner does exactly the opposite of what we think he will do. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down for point one. Pride and selfishness can lead us to make the wrong decision. Look in verse 8 with me, if you will, this morning. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, that's the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of David, or followed Judah, followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Israel, or house of Judah, was seven years and six months. So Abner not only doesn't support David, he goes and finds a puppet king. Ishbosheth was not a man of integrity. He wasn't a man of great power. He was a man that Abner could control. And Abner puts him on the throne. Why? Because Abner wanted to be in charge. Abner wanted to make the decisions. Abner wanted to be the mover and shaker and not step aside to some young man, some young king, some guy that didn't come from his family. The Bible describes pride like this in the 29th chapter, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. You see, Abner getting his way, what he wanted, what was best for him, was more important than what God wanted. It was more important than what should have happened. And this morning I ask you this simple question. When have you made decisions based on your pride and your selfishness or your hurt or your pain when you know that God wants you to do something different? You see, Jesus teaches it like this in Luke, the 14th chapter, starting in verse 7 through 11. So He told a parable to those who were invited when He noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, they had been invited to a meal, and people began to sit where they would sit. 
right? And people who got there early sit right next to where the owner of the house would sit, the most prestigious, the most recognizable places. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are arrived, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This morning, if you want to know how to bring destruction to your family, if you want to know how to bring pride or pain to your life, if you want to know how to destroy the church, just make it all about you. If you want your marriage to become a thing that is terrible and difficult and hard, Make it all about you. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up every possibility of love, of contentment, and even common sense. You know when we lose most common sense? is when it involves our children. Can you believe so-and-so did that? Can you believe so-and-so said that? I can't believe little Johnny isn't the most wonderful gift that the whole world has ever seen. I got in trouble a few years ago when I was coaching. Not T-ball, but the next level up. Had a mother come to me and said, I want my daughter to play pitcher. And in a moment of weakness, or honesty, whichever way you look at it, I said, if you take that child out and play catch with her and help her to be able to catch a ball, I'd put her at the pitcher's mound. But until that day, she can play in right field. You say, Jake, I can't believe you said that. Well, one of two reasons. It wasn't because I wanted to win. I mean, I did. But it was because you don't put a kid that can't catch at the pitcher's mound. Because it is the closest position to what? The batter. And can you imagine what would have happened if Cumskid smoked a line drive, hit poor Sally or Samantha or Sandy or whatever it was, and she got hurt and laid out there crying on the infield? You know whose fault it would have been? It wouldn't have been Bossy Bertha who wanted her daughter there at the center. And if your name's Bertha, I'm sorry. It'd have been whose fault? It'd have been mine. But in that mom's eyes, it didn't matter how good, how bad, she wanted her kid at the center of attention. Friends, we've seen marriages destroyed over our pride. We've seen homes tore apart, families over things like inheritances. We have seen churches tore apart by things that really don't matter other than this is what I want, what you want. Businesses have been torn apart because founders could not agree after success entered into their life. Friends, pride and selfishness can cause us to make the wrong decision even if we know all of the facts. Abner had every bit of information to honor God and chose differently. 
Second thing I want to show you this morning is making the wrong decision. So after we've been tempted, can lead to division and a desire to win at all costs. Starting in verse 12, we see this situation. Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanam to Gibeon. And Joab, who is the commander and leader of David's army, went out and met him by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Now, there's a lot of thoughts here, and I don't have all the answers. Some people thought they came here to negotiate. They came here to talk about this. Before war and bloodshed and pain and suffering, they came to the negotiating table. Some people think they came, and as they were negotiating, they were, were going to have a light-hearted competition. Other people think that they came here with the intent of this group of soldiers to fight, this group of soldiers to fight, and whoever won, they would avoid a great big war. But we don't know. But what Joab and Abner do is because Abner has made the wrong decision he has put himself across from an enemy and says, let's let these young men compete. And whatever that means, whether it was a competition to the death or whether it was a competition for just a bragging right, it was all because of pride. Listen to what the Bible says about when Satan was thrown out of heaven in Exodus chapter 28, verse 17. Your heart was lifted. Because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. That word for your heart was lifted in Ezekiel 28 verse 17 is pride. Because your heart was prideful. Because your heart was proud. You see, Satan was beautiful. Satan was splendid. Satan was, uh, was an amazing creation, creation of God. But yet pride. But pride caused him to want to be God. To sit on God's throne. And because of that, it brought him to what? Ruin. Jesus teaches about this in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. There are two brothers who are called the sons of thunder. And they get offended and listen to their response. Starting in verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He stops at a town and they don't want Him there. They don't want Him or the disciples there. They're not welcome. Their feelings are hurt. Their desires aren't met. Because they did not receive Him because His face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when His disciples James and John saw this, they said, don't miss this, Lord... Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked him and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. Think about this. Their pride had been wounded so much over someone not welcoming him into their town that their response is, well, let's move on. Not a big deal. Let us call down fire from heaven and destroy and kill all of them. Women, children, men. Let's wipe this place off of the map because our feelings were hurt. Friends, don't burn down your home because you're upset. Friends, don't burn down relationships because someone fails you. Don't tear apart the church because you didn't get what you wanted. You see, friends, the temptation leads to decisions. And those decisions can cause great harm. C.S. Lewis says this, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the next man. You see, pride will cause you to never be content. And only happiness will come when you have more than the next person. When you have more than the person who lives across the street from you. And so this morning, pride and selfishness will bring you to a place of making a terrible decision. Making the wrong decision can lead to division and a desire to win at all costs. And third and finally this morning, division and a desire to win at all costs will end up destroying everyone and everything. Look what it says here in verses 15 through 17 in this passage of Scripture. So they arose and went over by number. Twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. So here it is, twelve on twelve. Cage match, Royal Rumble, WWE, all right? And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into the opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore the place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. All 24 died on the spot. So there was a fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. What we begin to see here is the beginning of the consequences of Abner's rebellion and poor decision. It starts with the 24 men who died who had done nothing wrong other than follow orders. And then it turns into a great battle and Abner and the men of Israel begin to lose their life. You see, all of this could have been avoided by one simple decision. Abner saying, David is supposed to be king and I will put my weight and support behind him. You say, Jake, you're giving Abner too much credit. Well, I'm glad that you think that. But here in a couple chapters, when Abner gets mad at Ishbosheth, guess what he does? He turns the whole nation of Israel to who? To David. This was a man of great power, great influence. He was a man of great wisdom in most areas. But his one decision ended up destroying thousands of lives. 
It ended up tearing apart families. It ended up tearing apart a nation. Why? Because listen to what the Bible says about pride. In Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join hand in hand or forces, none will go unpunished. Friends, if there is pride in your heart this morning, it doesn't matter how many people you surround yourself that agree with you. It doesn't matter how many people you get on your team to accomplish your mission. God says pride never goes unpunished. It is an abomination to the Lord. But I want you to know this. Most of us lie to ourselves about our pride. Most of us don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm so prideful. I'm just full of it. I'm so wonderful. I'm so amazing. I'm just, I am it. Woo! Man, I'm a gift that God created. But listen to what happened in John chapter 8 when the Jewish people described their situation. You say, Jake, you're giving us lots of Bible verses this morning. You're right, because pride is something that if God doesn't convict you from, you have no hope. And the Word of God never returns void. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Don't miss this. Jesus says the truth can set you free. And the Jewish people said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're Abraham's people. We're Abraham's descendants. We are the Jews. We've never been bondage or slaves to anyone. What? If you've ever read the book of Jeremiah, Israel was destroyed. Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. The children of Israel were carried into slavery and captivity for 70 years. But what did they say? Oh, we, we, we've never been in bondage. We've, what, what? Who do you think you are? And friends, that's how pride works. Well, I don't have any hard feelings toward them. Them saying that about me, that didn't bother me. Well, I didn't get my way at work, but it didn't bother me. Well, I didn't get my way at church. It didn't bother me. Friends, what you're having to tell yourself is, is that your pride is running amok. Jesus goes on in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Your pride does not have to destroy you. Your sin does not have to control you. Jesus says, I will set you free. I will tear it all down and build it back the way it's supposed to. Thomas Jefferson said this about pride. Pride costs us more than hunger, thirst, and cold. You see, friends, this morning, you can tell yourself everything you want about your life, your decisions, your thought process. But if pride is in your heart, friends, the results will always be destruction. 
You say, Jake, I don't have any pride. Well, all of us struggle with pride. All of us struggle with pride. And so I want to just say a couple examples. One, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, you say, Jake, I'm baptized. I'm a member of the church. I didn't say that. I said, if you are here today and you are not a Christian, you've never been born again. You've never experienced the new birth. You're not here today and say, I have a relationship with Jesus. I know I've been forgiven. I know I'm covered by the blood of God, the blood of Jesus. I know I'm born again. I know when I leave this world because of my relationship to Him, because of His death, burial, and resurrection for my sins, I am going to heaven. If you are here today and you don't have that relationship with Him, it is your pride that is keeping you lost. Your desire to be in charge. Maybe today you don't think you need a Savior because you're not that bad. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I have my life. I want to live it my way. I want to do what I want. And if I give my heart and life to Jesus, I have to be His servant. I have to follow Him. And I'm not willing to do that. If you're here today and you're a Christian, but yet you've let pride over your kids or your life or your marriage or, or your work or what you've accomplished begin to slip into your heart. Maybe it's us as a church, we begin to think we're too big for our britches, whatever it is. What is the answer to the problem? Now these verses aren't going to be on the screen behind me, but I want you to write them down. Psalms 139 says this, Search me. Well, it is going to be behind me, apparently. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of the everlasting. Today, you have to say, Spirit of God, convict me. Spirit of God, search me. Spirit of God, Show me. Today you cannot find your pride on your own. You can't root it out on your own. It takes the Spirit of God to show you. And this morning you say, well, Jake, I don't want it to be found. Friends, if you've ever had a health concern and you couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out, and it was ruining your life, it was ruining your family, what do you want? Someone to finally tell you what's wrong. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin, judgment, and righteousness. Today, if you'll get along with God and say, Lord, search me, the Spirit of God will point right at it and say, here it is. You're prideful over your abilities. You're prideful over your rejection of the free gift of salvation. You say, Jake, okay, I've done that. I know I've got pride. I know it's in my heart. I know it's in my life. Now what? Is there any hope for pride in our hearts? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, if you'll ask for forgiveness, God will forgive you. He will save you if you're lost. He will restore you if you have stumbled as a believer. He will forgive it all. The only reason today you have to leave here with your pride is because you won't let Jesus take it. You say, okay, Jake, I, I've let the Spirit deal with my pride. 
and I have asked forgiveness from my pride, now what? Now you have to make a choice every day to stay humble. You say, oh no, Jake, that's not a choice that I have to make. God's the one that humbles us. Okay, I'll agree with that partially. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says this word, Therefore, humble who? Yourself. Every day I have to wake up and say, God, search me, forgive me, and God, keep me humble. I'm going to be humble. God, I'm not going to think about myself. I'm not going to think about what I want. I'm not going to make it all about me. I'm going to think of others greater than myself because Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve. You didn't come mighty and magnificent and wonderful. You came as a lowly, humble carpenter. Lord, you did not consider it robbery, even though that you were the Son of God, you were the King of kings and Lord of lords, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect, sinless life as the son of a carpenter, to willingly allow them to beat you, spit on you, torture you, crucify you, die for my sins. But yet you did not consider it robbery because of what it would do for us. So every day you have to say, Lord, humble me. And the decisions you make to stay humble. You say, well, Jake, I don't think I like this sermon very much. I really don't care. That's why I preached it. Because it came after verse 7. You say, well, Jake, I won't, I won't let it get that far. I won't let my pride ruin my marriage. I won't let my pride uh, ruin my children. I won't let my pride ruin my work. I won't let my pride ruin the church. Look up here. Once pride gets in your heart, the results are out of your hand if you don't ask for forgiveness. Pride will destroy your home. It will ruin your children. It will destroy your work. It will divide your relationships. It will tear apart the church. And all of it can be avoided. Every bit of the damage can be avoided if we will just make the decision that God wants for us to make. Today, Abner knew everything. He knew the good, the bad, the ins, the outs, but yet he still chose wrong. And this morning, you've heard the Word of God preached. You today, of the Spirit of God is convicting you know what is right. You know the results, but yet the decision is still yours. And so this morning, if you're here and you're lost, the Bible says that God will save you because Jesus died upon the cross, buried and rose again. And if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. He will save you. Christian today, if you've made a mess of things and relationships, if you'll ask for forgiveness, He will forgive you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I have um, already experienced the destruction that comes from pride. Now what? Starts with forgiveness and letting God raise you back up. He'll raise you up. You say, what does that mean? I have no idea for you. I have no idea what wrongs He'll right. I don't have any idea what bridges He'll build back. But what I can promise you this is you can either stay in the gutter with yourself or let Jesus 
forgive you, clean you up, and sit you at his table. Father, today I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would start with my heart, showing me any pride, any selfishness that's there. Convict me, love it, Lord. Point it out specifically. Lord, give me the courage to ask for forgiveness and ask others for forgiveness. Father, I pray today that you help us every single day to humble ourselves in the way we think, the way we talk, the way we live, all for your glory. Father, today I pray in this place that for that lost person, for that lost father, that lost mother, the lost child, that today, God, your Holy Spirit, only him, is convicting in hearts. Today I pray, Lord, that that person that is under conviction will not harden their heart, that they will not refuse the Spirit of God like your Word says over and over again. Today, Lord, that they would come humble, broken, and ask for forgiveness and to make you the Lord and Savior of their life. Father, I pray for the saved people in this room today who have let pride sneak into their heart, selfishness sneak into their heart, that today, Lord, they'd come to you and say, Lord, help us to live with your glory in mind. Father, I pray for this church, this group of believers together, that we would love you and honor you and serve you for your glory and not our own desires and thoughts and wants. Father, today, whatever other issues are on hearts and minds today, whether it's the hurt of someone else's pride, whether it's the pain of loss or difficulties of health, Today, Lord, that you'd give people the humility to come and just ask for your provision, your blessing, your need. Father, thank you for Jesus, for sending him to die on the cross, to die in our place for the punishment that we deserve. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the dead, that we can have victory over sin and death. Lord, I pray for great and mighty things, not for our glory, but for yours and your alone. Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.